I started my journey with permaculture in 1999 and on my permaculture culture course um i was very inspired by how we were taught and um it kind of awakened in me a whole load of creativity and uh sort of eagerness to be part of solutions for the world um and then over the years um through sort of then starting to teach permaculture i realized that permaculture was just way more than just gardening um and that could be used to really transform our lives and transform our relationships and turn us all into kind of happier, healthier people. And, um, and, and so alongside this, then the other sort of part that inspired me to write the book was the realisation that it's kind of often the people things that trip us up when we're trying to do projects. Um, you know, it, it stalls our earth care when we get sort of trapped in the people care um the people politics and so in permaculture design we try and turn around the limiting factors so if we've got something that's limiting us it becomes one of the aspects that we pay attention to in our design so that led me to think okay well we how can we use the permaculture principles and design in all areas of our lives and there hasn't really been that much written about it um, although I think there's been quite a lot of permaculturists that have thought about it and even used it in their permaculture diplomas, it hasn't been it hasn't been written about explicitly before. So I took on that project, and that that seems extraordinary, doesn't it? That actually permaculture has been around for about thirty years and has always explicitly been framed as being around earth care, people care, and fair shares. Yet. It's taken 30 years for the first actual book to come into print about the people care uh, aspects of, of of permaculture. Why do you think that is? Um, I don't know. I mean, it was quite a challenge um, to write it and to actually sort of um, believe in myself enough to write it. And one of the um, first things I had to do was kind of reframe this belief that I needed to be a perfect person to write about people care. And I had to reframe that, otherwise I probably would never have written the book. Um, and I wonder if that was maybe the case with other people, <clears throat> that no one quite felt that they had enough people skills to write the book or to... Um, it, there were, it seems to be sort of a, a controversial issue somehow, though I'm not fully understanding why, um, because we, that's, we all have every single one of us is involved in people care whereas not actually every single one of us is involved directly with earth care and so by making um by by paying more attention to the people care we're actually opening it up permaculture to a lot more people making it more relevant to people but i'm i don't know why people other people haven't written more about it actually do you think there's a there, that it could be said that that uh, you know the the approach that you that you capture in in the book is is a more kind of uh, feminine intuitive kind of approach and it, and that it's maybe given that trans permaculture was something started by by two men uh, and with sort of the the predominance of of teachers being men that it's taken women longer time to find their voice within permaculture. Um, I, I think it has taken women um 
longer to find their voice. And I remember my permaculture teacher, um, Pippa James, um, she's Pippa Johns now, um, saying to me that she became a permaculture teacher because um, someone said to her, there are hardly any women teaching permaculture, we need more women. And that inspired me on my journey as well to um, to become a permaculture teacher and to, as you said, find my voice within that. Um, when I've written the book, I I really tried to balance out the sort of feminine and masculine and not to go down um, too much the route of, oh, you know, we just all we need is to love each other and everything will be fine, but to actually make it very pragmatic. How do we use the permaculture principles and the design approach as we would if we were designing for land-based systems? So if we were designing, like, for example, a transition group, how would we go about actually going through that in a pragmatic, systematic approach that enables us to create a synergetic group rather than a group that falls apart through the, the through the people politics. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did try and balance out the masculine and feminine in there, but I, I agree that a lot of permaculture thus far has been very much focused on the sort of the design science of it. And so, so for somebody listening to this who's involved in uh, in their local transition group, what um, what do you think that the tools you've you've pulled together in the book? Um, can do to help them what will they find that uh, that that will be useful to them well I think there's um there's several different levels um in which it could be useful the first is on the sort of the personal level looking at our own beliefs and our own patterns and needs and thinking about how those affect our behaviours, so our whole internal landscape affects our behaviours. And at the moment, um, you know, we've got certain patterns that that we follow through. So if we've got the need of food, the pattern is we might go to the supermarket and we might buy something that comes from abroad. And it's it's a pattern there. Um, that we have for fulfilling our needs and these things will have to sort of have to shift as peak oil comes around and how as we're trying to sort of build in more com- community resilience and live more locally and so these things will have to shift and they we all have these emotions that go alongside um, these shifts and alongside going through at any transitional state and so there can be a, a sort of learning around this how we can um, you know, a lot of us in today's society are actually afraid of living without technology. We're not no longer afraid of technology. We're more we're more likely to be afraid of living without it. And all of these things kind of hold us back in moving forward into this life and sustaining culture that we want. That transition is guiding the way towards. So on that personal level, which also echoes out into our sort of our collective beliefs as well we there's a there's a lot of information in there on how we can become more aware of that and how that is speaking to us and guiding it how our inner landscape is directing us so that's the first level the, the next level i would say useful is to th- in how we will operate as groups i think this is really key to the transition movement is how we can 
work well together, how we can make decisions together, how we can hold meetings that are actually fun and productive. Um, and this is this is definitely kind of one of the I think the weak spots of um, transition that I know quite a few of the initiatives and groups have kind of um, struggled with this and maybe haven't been able to do the actual work that they'd like to because they've been caught up in these kind of people politics. Um, and then there's also looking at it at bigger level of how, you know, I've taken, I've taken it out of the book in different parts and then the next part is how do we look at it on a society level and how do we how can we facilitate cultural shifts which is what transition is trying to do isn't it it's trying to uh, facilitate a whole cultural shift of thinking and behaving yeah absolutely and that and, and that kind of people politics thing as you say is often <laughs> something that can uh, that can uh, uh, grind groups to a halt uh, yeah. I mean, the, um, and as a culture over over a long period of time, we've become increasingly individualized and and less willing to um, to you know to have those kind of skills and, and communicate in that way. Um, do you feel that actually those skills are are easy to learn and? Uh, uh, yeah, and and, mm -hmm. and they can be used in any kind of context, really. Yeah, I think one of the um, one of the first things is to recognise that they are skills to learn. That we don't necessarily walk into a group knowing how to work together. That actually we might need to take a step back and set and formalise that somehow. Become aware of the the culture within the group and how we want that to be. How how do we want to give voice to everyone how do we introduce new people into the group how do we make decisions together they're all things that we might assume that we know how to do but actually maybe we're not all talking on the same page so but by actually saying okay how are we going to operate as a group what what is the culture going to be in this group we can then start to formalize that and learn the skills and then that will help us in the long term as well. Because part of the it's it's partly it seems to be about tempering that kind of uh, that energy of let's just do something, you know, that sense of urgency and uh, uh, imperative to just rush out and start doing things with the need to put some good organisational group foundations uh, under things. And I think that's something that I've observed in transition as much as in permaculture you know that that sort of balance between uh let's just go and do stuff and we need to pay some attention to the process involved how, how do you see that balance well de yeah definitely the, that's um that is a, a one of the tensions that occur the that some people just saying let's just get on with the job and very task orientated and some people that are very process orientated and wanting to slow down um and it it's, it's a balance between the two. You don't want to get caught up all the time just in process, and you need to so you need to put attention to both of those. Um, it, it's a kind of akin to building your soil as well before planting your garden. So paying attention in the initial stages to um, 
to your course culture and how you're going to operate can really pay dividends in the long run. But it it can seem like sort of invisible work, like it is sort of building your soil and putting your compost on and leaving that. And yeah, and it's often easier. Um, it's often easier to do this in the initial stages, um, it, rather than trying to remedy something when something goes wrong. It's like, okay, now it's all going pear shaped. Now what do we do? It's a lot harder to interact with it then and you know you've presumably been i mean I, i'm assuming because it it must have been something that spurred your search for the a lot of the tools that you've got in the book you know that the that being in groups where this kind of thing isn't uh, taken account t- taken any account for and being in groups where it has can you can you kind of describe or talk about the what's the how would you describe the quality of being in a group that has taken this stuff on board and a group that hasn't? How is it? How is what? How is the quality of it different? Um, an interesting question. Um, I think there's there's something about kind of whole be it, the space being held more when it's um, when the group knows that there is this kind of this culture that everyone's working towards. I mean, every every group will evolve a culture. It's just when you set up in the beginning, um, are you, mostly when I'm teaching courses of the kind of, you know, we set up in the beginning, we set up a course culture. We say how we would like the group to operate. And by having, having done that, in, it really opens everyone to being part of the group and everyone feels some ownership over it and a, ability to say something and then it's, it's something we can come back to it's like okay where are we going now is this in line with where we want to go to so there's something around kind of people feeling much more uh, there's much more safety and trust in a group that has voiced its course its culture and voiced what it would like and that can be a really strong reference point so if you were to if someone was listening to this and they were just about to uh, run their first uh, meeting of a transition group uh, what would your advice be for that for that first meeting in terms of what tools they might do and how they might use that first meeting to best kind of uh, lay lay the, the foundations well I think one of the important things is to, is the, about making sure everyone feels like they have a voice and this can be done in very simple ways by just going around doing a go round at the beginning inviting everyone to say their name, say something that they feel gratitude for the, this week or something that's excited then so it's something like this to just open up the space for everyone to talk um there's also you can do it in pairs where people listen to each other so it's developing our listening skills of each other um and and just simple tools like that can really um just just allow everyone the sort of breathing space and feel that they can be part of the group there's more. There's other more kind of complex ones you can use as well. I think it's also worth bearing in mind, you know, if it's a group that's planning to 
work together over a long time to say, okay, what are the guidelines we'd like to work by? You know, what, for example, what happens when someone isn't at a meeting? Can we make decisions without them or not? If everyone know, if everyone said, yeah, okay, if I'm not at a meeting, we, you know, the decision goes ahead without us, then you know that that's what's going to happen, rather than there being any sort of backlash later on. Mm. One, of the, one of the things that I've noticed here in Totnes has been uh, how sometimes, you know, if we do a, if we do a big kind of a public event or in some kind of a way, you know, while there's the the person standing up there speaking and so on. Uh, you know, everybody will kind of be there. But as soon as you do, as soon as you say, okay, now I'd like you to talk and turn to the person next to you, there's always a good five or ten people who just get up and go. You know, the idea of anything that involves any sort of uh, interaction or intimacy and they're out of the door, you know. Uh, do you think it's possible? Do, do you think that the tools, you know, and, and also, you know, that there are some people who just even at the idea of putting chairs in a circle kind of recoil as if it's some sort of mad cultish kind of an activity that's being suggested. You know, do you do you feel that um, uh, that that the resources and tools that you've pulled together can be used in any in, in any situation or any any circumstance or or, or not? Well, it's a. Um, I mean, it's very interesting and it does really highlight the differences in culture, the local differences in culture that we have, even within the same town of who, who would sit in a circle and who wouldn't. Um, I, and I think it's, I mean, it's very much up to the facilitator to play that by ear and to see kind of what steps they can take without alienating people and it's a very sort of fine line isn't it between uh, you know do we do we try and make something that pleases everyone which in the end probably doesn't please anyone or do we um you know where do we stretch our boundaries Who, whose boundaries do we stretch where do we what comfort zones do we use and i get in it in the end, it's about what aims are we trying to achieve. If it's a public meeting and we're really trying to talk to everyone, then then we've got to kind of play it as safe as we can and try and keep everyone on board. If it's something that's more, perhaps more optional for people and we're really wanting people to be able to work together over time, then maybe we go in a different direction. And you talked before about how uh how the, using the principles of permaculture can be of assistance to to transition groups and indeed there's a there's a there's a big kind of section in the book about uh or not a big section but there is a section in the book about uh, about how these things can support transition how do you what's your sense of of, of of the other way you know how can what can what can from your experience of being around transition groups what do you think that uh, permaculture can learn from from transition well I think I mean I think one of the um, big, big things the transition has done which permaculture hasn't um, quite managed to do is successfully spread itself across the globe and um, so quick a transition has managed to do that so quickly so it's re transition really seems to have um, spoken to a need in a lot of people and given it tools to in a, to, to work quickly on that and to come together 
Um, so, you know, I think that's been a great gift that um, transition has brought and something definitely that permaculture can learn is how, you know, how has transition managed to spread so quickly? Um, and perhaps it is kind of the word transition is more recognisable to people as a word in the English language, whereas the word permaculture may still, um, what's that? Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it's, there, it's been very interesting watching how quickly um, transition has spread and it would be very interesting to watch how transition um, grows and learns um, and develops over the next few years because it's still very young, really. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, is, is successful campaigning and good activism uh, possible without attention paid to the inner aspects of it um i think i think that well i mean it, i think you know all advertisers do look to pay attention to our, our inner needs don't they and talk to them on a subconscious level without us recognizing it um so i think that when when we're able to do that when we're able to really sort of talk to people and kind of shift mindsets um then that that's quite powerful and i think that's something that um you know both permaculture and transition do is try and talk to people from an abundance mindset that we can have this abundance in our lives in our communities um we can we can work towards the future that we want those are really powerful messages that if we're if people are able to take them on board can really inspire and motivate us and last question is what what's next what's next for you where do you go after after doing this um well i've got a few ideas of the, i'm sort of resting at the moment and waiting to see what kind of emerges um the, yeah there's a few a few books that i'd like to write but i haven't quite um <laughs> pumped for that but for, for me at the moment, what I'm doing is kind of running people and permaculture courses so that people can come and learn more about the design, how we design for people-based systems, how we can use that creativity of the permaculture principles and design in all aspects of our lives to create the life-sustaining culture that we're looking for. Um, so that's, yeah, I'm doing courses this year and hopefully we're going to find some land and have a training centre for ourselves.